Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good afternoon, a warm welcome to you all out there. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts. It's Wednesday, the 11th of January. We're here with you for an hour. And when I say we, myself, Nadine Blaney, and also Andrew Whiteblin, who's joining us from DP Wealth Advisory, and Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Happy New Year to you both. Wonderful to see you there. I'm going to start Happy just New. with... A bit of a, a question. Um, Andrew, are you a bull or a bear when it comes to the prospect for equities in 2023? Uh, which which time of year are you asking me? Are you asking me sort of the front half of the year or the back end of the year? I think the front half of the year, sort of the first three months in particular, are going to continue to be pretty volatile. But uh, certainly interest rates moderating, potentially even falling, subject to whether we're having a hard or a soft landing coming into the end of 2023, I think uh, we could even see a little bit of a bounce. So a bit of a mixed bag of lollies there, Nadine. There you go. Henry, how do you see things panning out this year? Well, I'm not going to be Mr. Floppy, uh, Nadine. I'm going to go a bull for the year. I agree we're going to be volatile, but I think at the end of the year, uh, we'll be looking at a, a substantially higher market than we are now. I think the big game changer is China coming back on after three years of uh, absolute isolation. So I think that's the big game changer that we're going to see this year. Got it. Now, uh, to please our viewers, we, instead of picking a stock of the day, because let's be honest, it's pretty quiet out there on the corporate front. I don't think that's uh, breaking any major news. So we've asked both of our guests today to pick one buy, one company, one theme, one ETF potentially that they would buy today. And I'll start with you, Andrew. Mr. Floppy, hey, it's good to see we're off to a good start, Henry. You know, I, I thought, you know, 2023, you know, we could potentially sort of, you know, ease into it now. Just yeah, into yeah, that's gonna, um, I've written that one down. We'll revisit that at the end of the year, okay? That's fantastic, thank you. So the one that uh, I'm uh, interested in, in fact, uh, kudos to James Whelan for suggesting this on the uh, ETF call with Koshi, which we did towards the end of last year. If you want to go back in the library and have a look at that one, is uh, the Hedged Gold Miners ETF from BetaShares MNRS, rolls off the tongue. But uh, in essence, it is a global gold miner. And uh, what we're seeing, at, well, sorry, it invests in global gold miners. Uh, so as we're sort of seeing sort of the uh, the US dollar starting to sort of fall away, we're seeing potentially uh, US interest rates moderating. Gold is certainly having its time in the sun at the moment. Uh, gold is up about $200 an ounce, I think, over the last two months. So some of the holdings in there, Franco Nevada, uh, Wheaton, Barrick, Newmont, down 5% for the year. However, uh, we certainly think that uh, there's a bit more run-up in gold, and in particular, if you know the thesis I was putting out there before, that uh, things are going to be volatile, then uh, gold may in fact regain its uh, safe haven status after snatching it back from Bitcoin. 
Um, a little bit of sarcasm there to start 2023. So certainly MNRS would be one that I'd be very interested in. And, and in particular, you'd like it because it's hedged? I like the hedging in particular. Okay, got it. Now, uh, let's go to you. Uh, Henry, what's your pick? What would you be willing to buy today? Is this the super buy? Well, if you sound passionate enough, it just may be. I can sound passionate enough. The stock that I will pick uh, for a super buy is Syrah Resources, S-Y-R. I've been talking about this for a couple of days, and the stock's popped up from just over 2 bucks uh, to around, uh, I think, $2.13-ish. Uh, it did hit two twenty at one stage. But I, I do like this one. 2022 was the year of lithium, and we all know the lithium story. But I think 23 could see the story kind of... Um, seep out into other materials and, and Syrah of course battery metals in, in terms of the graphite flake that they produce in Mozambique they have had some security concerns in Mozambique and they have had some slight disappointment I guess in terms of Tesla with the offtake agreement that still I think is yet to be finalized completely although uh, that should be forthcoming pretty soon uh, but they are building an operation in the US which I think is very important for these guys they've got Good U.S. backing as well for it, and I think this one has good, good potential for this year. Uh, if you look at something like Talga, which is in the same space, has had a, a big run, and they announced a uh, offtake agreement this morning. They're in the European market, but I think Syrah has been unfairly treated in the uh, the closing stages of 2022, and is set for a rebound. I think we should see 260, 270 in this one as the year progresses. 260, 270. Well, what yeah. I'm going to do just to see if any of these are deserving of a super buy, which means that they will go straight to the investment committee. Uh, Henry, would you agree with Andrew's sentiment around the BetaShares Global Gold Miners ETF MR, MNRS? Uh, yeah, I think, well, gold miners are very much a, uh, a good uh, theme at the moment. I've, I've been long a bunch of gold stocks in my small cap portfolio anyway, uh, just getting direct exposure as I'm not really an ETF kind of guy. But um, yeah, certainly if you want to play Mr. Floppy, uh, then uh, certainly the uh, the gold miners ETF gives you that broad exposure. I've been long things like DeGray, which uh, has gone from sort of a dollar to a dollar fifty uh, in the last few months. So there's there's certainly been some plenty of opportunities, as Andrew says, that gold price has really soared, at least in US dollar terms, not so much in Aussie dollar terms, but uh, the market only really focuses on US dollar terms. And as Andrew says, we do have a weakening US dollar. That could be the theme of 2023 as well. And that will obviously help gold. I'm not sure if it's uh, usurped Bitcoin as the safe haven status. I'm not sure Bitcoin ever was a safe haven status play, but um, certainly some of the fun money is coming back into the gold sector. Got it. Thank you. And I'll ask you, in fairness, Andrew, can you poke any holes in Henry's thesis for buying Soraya <laughs> Resources today? I appreciate that sort of last part of that sentence, just as to qualifying the holes where I need to be poking. Uh, look, I've uh, I've got no uh, no issues with uh, Syria at all, and again, even just on a consensus point of view, it's trading below consensus. Uh, so, no, I'd be happy to support that as a super buy. Got it. Thank you. All right. It looks as if I'm going to leave the final decision to Jack. Our producer. But uh, yeah, a couple super buys coming from our guests here today. Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today, and they will be discussing Empol, Eris Resources, Helix Resources, a bit of a theme there, Coles, and APA Group. 
in the first little while of this well, I should say about the first 30 minutes of this 60-minute show. So let's get straight to it, shall we? And poll. This is the first stock of the day picked by David. David, I hope you're listening or watching. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you and poll. Yeah, I was just actually looking, as you were sort of re uh, reading out the, the first stock, I was looking at uh, Ampol's performance over the last one, three, and five years. A little bit underwhelming, down 3% for one year, 5% for three years, and 1% per annum over that five-year period. So hasn't really done a lot. Of course, Ampol uh, is a behemoth in the context of the energy or the, the petrol space. Uh, it's got about 3 million customers a week, which I thought was surprising. I didn't realise it was that high. And they've got around 1,800 sites in which they operate out of, and the, obviously, therefore, the largest petrol and convenience network in Australia. Uh, most of their sales obviously come from petrol or fuel. Um, it's around 17 billion. Interestingly, there are plenty of people wanting to nibble on their Kit Kats or their chips or whatever it is. There's about $5 billion a year in sales on those. and. We're seeing consensus coming off over the last uh, three months. Consensus on this has fallen by about 6%. So it's still trading well above consensus. Consensus is about $35. They're trading at 27 PE of eight times is certainly not demanding by any stretch of the imagination. Market's trading at about 19. But I guess where the market's probably a little bit worked up is that we've got a forecast earnings per share growth of minus 17% for this year. So, you know, potentially with that fuel price coming back under pressure, is our margins going to start falling away again? Won't be selling enough Kit Kats to make up for that drop in margin. So I would say at best, this is a hold. Hold, okay, thank you. Drop in margins, just writing that down. Henry, what do you think? Um, I'm with uh, Andrew, surprisingly, for the start of the new year. So I'm going to play nice on this one. Ampol is well; these sort of prices definitely a hold. It has been a bit of a dog, to be honest, and uh, that has been reflected in the share price. We do have a pretty good yield on this one, though. It's still 5.86% in terms of the yield, and that's not without the franking, of course. So that that is a, a beneficiary. There's also a buyback in the process as well. So I would say that uh, we do see this as a hold at these kind of levels. But as Andrew says, um, you know, there's not much to get massively excited about with this one. Uh, it used to be sort of a, a bit of a, a proxy play on the oil price. But um, as the oil price has been coming under pressure, so has Ampol. Maybe we'll see the oil price spike up. If you look back at the chart, you'll see that towards the end of uh, February 2022, when the oil price took off with the Ukraine invasion, uh, Ampol was uh, nearly 38 bucks at one stage uh, come mm -hmm. the end of the year. So it does have potential. If we do see China storm back uh, this year, then we should see Ampol do better. So it is a hold from me. Got it. Thank you, guys. Play nice. Huh? Do you know that after the last time we were all on together, a viewer actually thought that I was being unkind to you both. So we've all oh. we've all just got to keep um, keep our uh, our best behavior front and center, please. All right. <laughs> thanks, Mum. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Mum. I know. I was a bit on. hurt by that because I thought Andrew yeah. and Henry. What? Okay. Eris Resources is the next on the list. This is for regular viewer. Catherine, AIS is the ticker code. I'm going to start with you on this one, Henry, because just going by memory, so this is a, a mid-tier sort of copper, precious metals producer. You've liked this in the past. Would you still be buying? 
Um, I've got to say, yes, I mean, the stock's up 9% today, not nearly 10%. So maybe there's a bit of front running. Maybe a few people uh, are uh, buying in anticipation of a big tick of approval from Andrew and myself. I, I, I'd have to say, you know, it's pushing up towards uh, being a little bit toppy. I prefer to buy under 60 than here at 67 cents. I mean, it does make a little bit of a difference. They've got four producing assets uh, in Australia. Triton looks interesting. Uh, with the Evoca tank mine development project. We did have an update yesterday on that, so that looks quite promising. They've got no debt, plenty of cash. Uh, they did take over the old Krakow uh, business up in uh, in Queensland from Evolution, if my memory serves me correct. Um, so I don't mind this one at all, but it's just had a little bit of a spurt. Maybe there is a bit of front running going on in this one. But uh, certainly high-grade copper and gold, those results uh, from Evoca tank looking pretty good and they're using the cash that they've got getting out of their producing assets to, uh, to to fund the exploration and the next leg up. I guess the only issue for them is the mine life of their projects is not huge. Uh, Stockman should be coming on stream in around 25, 26. Uh, that has quite a long mine life but Krakow has only got um, four years of mine life but it does have a history of that mine life being extended. So that is a positive if they can extend that, but they're doing well in using the cash generation from the copper and gold producing assets to fund exploration and building out capacity in uh, in new projects. So uh, for them, me, this is a buy, but I prefer to buy it yesterday when it was 10% mm -hmm. uh, cheaper before the front runners got in today. So maybe uh, under 60, uh, you could get more aggressive. Thank you. Let's get a view from Andrew Whiteland on Aeris Resources. Yeah, look, I'd agree with Henry um, that it is sort of more of a, dare I say, it, a punting type of share. I mean, it's a $400 million market cap. There are others we're going to co cover today that are even more pointy-ended. So this is one of the two pointy-ended ones. But that whole, if I take it back a step, and that whole uh, electrification thematic that's coming through at the moment, seeing BHP obviously having a go at Oz Minerals, um, you know, that, that is certainly an area in which the market is interested in. Uh, copper price getting back over $4 a pound overnight is certainly a positive as well. And I think that may be another reason why it's responding positively as well. Uh, but it would be a spec buy for me. But again, maybe just wait for a day where the market isn't as hot and bothered as it is at the moment. Yeah, okay. So this is one of those that maybe not today, maybe just wait for a down day, but you both like the story. Let's get on to the next company on the list. Helix Resources, HLX. This is for Sam. So this again is a a minerals exploration company. And I think that that is um, pretty key. This is an operator up in Queensland, uh, precious metals as well. Andrew, in your view, is there any need to go into the exploratory end of the market? Why wouldn't you just go for somebody that's already, or a company that's already producing? It's an interesting question, Nadine, because when when the market is hot with these explorers, uh, then certainly there is great money to be made. But equally so, Henry and I have been around long enough to know that when things come off the boil and no one just you know puts a sign up saying things are off the boil, uh, they into the world of pain. And in fact, uh, just looking at the price action on this one, I mean, it's been as high as four cents back in 2021. And here we are today at around 0.8 of a cent. So uh, certainly there is the p lots of potential for, p for pain, rather, if you get this one wrong. So again, it's probably one in which I wouldn't be looking at. And it's not because I sort of have doubts about the company. What I've looked at, in essence, 
is the amount of money they're spending on exploring because obviously if you're spending money on exploring you've got no monies coming in the door at some stage you're going to sort of have to tap somebody on the shoulder and say hey can i have some more money and according to their last uh, report to the asx the 4b uh, they've only got about one, 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 sorry, five quarters, just over one year worth of cash left. So if they don't find something, then that could be a bit of a challenge for them or there's a cap raising. So if you're interested in this space, potentially wait for some sort of either good corporate news or more importantly, that capital raising. You'll see the share price come under a bit of pressure and that might be your opportunity then. But at this stage, I'm a no thinking. Okay, so that's an avoid. But Henry, to Andrew's point, I mean, he acknowledges that you can miss out on a lot of upside if you don't have any sort of exposure to the micro end of the market. Do you take calculated risks in your portfolios when it comes to some of these explorers? Is it worth it for the average retail investor? Um, I think it's always worth it for the average retail investor. The catalysts always are, are drill results, which are very hard to predict, let's face it. The companies themselves who are actually doing the drilling uh, are struggling to predict the results let's face it so for the average retail investor to second guess the second guesser I think that's a that's a second guess squared which is probably a, a four guesser um, is is hard work let's face it unless you um, unless you have to know, unless you happen to be Johnny on the spot on the ground and with your binoculars out and watching the, the, the drillers cheer these are pretty hard ones to play I have to say I would probably be avoiding this one. It does have a bit of a JV with Aeris, which we've just talked about, but it's not really Aeris's uh, major focus. Uh, Campbell Alago, uh, which is up uh, in Queensland. So I would avoid this one. It's not got a great track record, let's face it. It's, it's a fraction of a cent, uh, to be honest. They just missed um, a target. They were looking at drilling. It's out at Cobar in New South Wales, uh, which is, uh, they're looking for, um, for copper. Um, which you know, it's been a prolific region for New South Wales in terms of copper. But you know, if if you want to go down the spec route, there are so many out there that you can play. It's always good to find momentum. It's always good as well to back management that have done it before. Um, there's plenty of choice, and this wouldn't be on my radar. I have to say, I would be uh, avoiding this one. Got it. Thank you, guys. Agreement there. See, they're getting along just fine today. Let's get to the next on the list, which is Kohl's. And, it, you know, it's uh, it's one of those well-known companies, obviously. We use it in our daily lives. Uh, we've got some questions about consumer spending, but we also still have inflation, you know, taking hold. It's a staple. It's often looked at as being defensive. Like there are those well-worn arguments. Um, where do you see Kohl's placed right now as we embark on 2023, Andrew? It's certainly one that you'd have in in your portfolio or Woolies. I, unless you had a large portfolio, if you're a large portfolio, then you might end up with both. But I would think that in a um, in a diversified portfolio, you'd probably need to make a call on that consumer staple space. Am I going to go Coles or am I going to go Woolies? So one of the things I would be looking at is I'd be looking at um, the return on equity, how much money they're making with your money. And both of them have got a pretty strong return on equity. Coles is 35%, so sort of my measure is 15%. Any company with an ROE over 15%, I'm interested. So 35% is great. I might add though that Woolies is 38%, so it's actually got a better ROE. So then your next thing is you'd have a look at margin and you'd say, okay, well, how much profit margin are they making? And you might remember that uh, early in the noughties, uh, 
Australia had world best profit margins in this space of around 4%, but then, uh, you know, companies like Woolies, as an example, in their master's disaster, uh, where they talk about 3 billion, 4 billion, we've really seen those margins come back, and obviously, most recently with the inflationary pressure. So, Woolies, uh, sorry, Coles actually has a better profit margin than Woolies at the moment. So, you've got one's got a good return on equity, one's got a better margin. So, it's sort of hard to say which one is better than the other. A lot of people will have had Coles by virtue of being a West Farmer shareholder, because of course Coles uh, was spun out of, uh, of, of West Farmers after they were bought way back in 2007. But um, I, I would think it's a whole, like there's nothing wrong with it, but equally say a P of 21 times relative to the market of 19, it certainly isn't cheap. Uh, but is it to the point where it's ridiculously, ridiculously expensive? It's not, but to me, it is a hold. Okay, thank you. Now, is this for you, Henry, a Coles versus Woolworths debate, or do you need to have some sort of exposure to these supermarket giants in your portfolio? I was actually going to sing a little bit of a song for this one, Dean, uh, bearing in mind what we've just seen. But did we have a lovely Christmas time is the song that I was going to talk about. Did we have a... Anyway, <laughs> that would... I guess be part of the key to this one. It's pretty Excellent. unexciting, um, to say the least. Uh, the good yield, pretty defensive. They have just frozen the prices for some of the staples. Uh, that was due to expire, I think, at the end of this month, but they have rolled it over. Uh, Woolies let their price freeze uh, expire. So Coles has got a little bit uh, of a, a benefit there, I guess, in terms of getting customers back. But it's you know, given the, the headwinds that everyone tells us that are going to be happening in 23 as uh, the mortgage uh, cliff approaches with all those fixed rate mortgages rolling off and higher rates and we've just seen the CPI number come out better than expected or, or, or maybe it should be worse than expected in terms of uh, uh, all the CPI reads. Can't get excited about coals, I must admit. You've got higher energy prices which you know, they've got to keep the lights on every night for the, the shelves to be stacked, the refrigerators to be ticking over. They've also increasing staff costs uh, that we have seen. Uh, and uh, if they've got that price freeze on, where's the margin expansion? And uh, you've got a consumer that is probably looking at uh, more basic goods. So for me, no, it's probably a hold at best only for yield and for its defensive quality. But you know, maybe 2023 is not the yield of defensive. Not the, maybe we should be looking a little more aggressive. So what are you thinking? You need to add some growth to your portfolio? I've got plenty of growth in my portfolio. <laughs> um, so why not yeah, look I, defensively, I think... at least for you know the first half of the year? Well, I, although you said you're a bull. I'm a bull. I, 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 you know, I think that the, the Chinese reopening, and there's no going back. Uh, let's face it, these guys are backflip. They're not going to backflip again. So that there's no going back. They're talking about stimulus. They're talking about, you know, this is the second biggest economy in the world, which has basically been offline for three years. Um, this, this is a momentous change. And uh, certainly in the last you know, three or four years, this is a big, big change. So I, I think it should be a year that we get a little bit more aggressive in terms of taking risk, in terms of commodity exposure, in terms of exposure to the old themes that we saw in China. Thank you. All right, guys, listen, we've got one more to get to uh, before we hit the halfway mark. And this is APA Group, so ticker code APA. It's for Damien. 
what do you make of it? If I look down at the brokers, we've got a very measured view. So Macquarie's neutral, Ords and Morgan's on a hold, Credit Suisse neutral, Morgan Stanley equal weight, UBS neutral as well. Although, you know, out of that uh, aforementioned group, there is still upside to reach the potential uh, the price targets that they have on the stock so given what we know about the energy market uh, given what we know about uh, how all of these forces are impacting some of these companies that are the end users of the product including government legislation henry apa group in your view uh, yeah another kind of unexciting uh, stock to be honest it's obviously you know it's a utility it is uh, a unique utility in some respects on the ASX bin gas pipelines. I have just got a new CEO and MD, which surprisingly enough, after a global search, uh, they found the, uh, the CEO, Mr. Watson, uh, Adam Watson. He was the, um, the CFO. I can't believe how many global searches go on for CEOs and it's standing right under their noses that it's an existing um, uh, employee or someone pretty high up in the, in the management. So uh, there is that. New CEOs and MDs, etc., do tend to want to put their stamp on the company. So there is a risk there. It has been in a bit of a downward spiral. Good yield, relatively defensive. There's obviously a lot of politics around gas, East Coast gas supplies. Um, nothing wrong with it, but it's not that inspiring, to be honest. It's a hold from me. Uninspired by APA Group. But again, if it's going to be a bit tough out there, Andrew, I mean, do you want some of these sort of uh, less exciting companies in your portfolio? Uh, I, I, just, I just can't get this to flip-flop out of my head. Henry, we're gonna have to <laughs> I can't get that, that song out of my head. Regardless, let's move on. Uh, no, I... Uh, I really do like APA and uh, it actually seems to be a viewer favourite. We've had it come up a number of times and when it was sort of in that 9, 9.50, it really was a bang the table buy. At 10.40, 10.50, if you look at consensus, you were just talking about the brokers who follow it before, consensus is around $10.44 and it's trading literally bang on consensus at the moment. So there's lots to like about APA relating to the fact that over 90% of their uh, assets are actually unregulated income. So if we look at companies like Transurb as an example, uh, the toll, albeit rises with inflation, is in essence set. So you've got a bit of a, you don't really have a lot of wiggle room relating to sort of the revenue piece. Whereas APA is indeed a monopoly uh, owner of all these gas assets, but 90% of their revenue, they can actually negotiate with the end customer. So that's a real positive. But as I said, from a valuation point of view, uh, at these sort of levels, it's, it's a hold. But should they come back under pressure again, and you know markets are cyclical, and it drifts back into that nine nine fifty, it's absolutely one that you need to be topping up on because of that defensive nature. Okay, and uh, you're not sort of concerned that it's still got the execution of its revised strategy ahead of it with a new CEO and a new CFO. I think it's sort of looking to become more of a, a transition, you know, gas transition transmission, I should say, uh, electricity transmission sort of play. Yeah, Henry is bang on that, in, you know, and I'm famous for my amber lights. One of my amber lights is when there is a new CEO, because inevitably they do tend to sort of go through the cupboard and find, you know, the potential skeletons. Probably the thing that sort of gives me some comfort is that uh, if Mr. Watson was indeed the CFO prior, 
then he probably knows where all the skeletons are already and has brought them out, hopefully. So in that context, it's more the new external uh, CEOs who come in that would be more concerning. But absolutely, new change in management, absolutely execution risk is a heightened risk there to consider. Okay, there you go. So that takes us, sorry. No, okay, thought I heard something. No, just a squeak. Okay, yeah, a little bit of feedback. Unless you want to take over with your singing again, Henry, or should we just leave I'm happy that there? To. Okay, well, let's just leave it there. Or shall Are you being we? Mean again no, again? I know, I know. That's what. Well, just save your emails. We're great friends. All right, let's get to our stocks of the day, and these are two buys from my expert guests. From Andrew, it's the BetaShares Global Gold Miners ETF MNRS. He likes it in particular because it is hedged. And Soraya Resources SYR from Henry. Uh, he says, look, it's, um, it's, it's you know, a company that he'd be willing to buy. I'd like to pay about $2.60 to $2.70 for it, though. Ampol was the first nominated by you. And don't forget that this is information only. This is not you know, specific advice. It's tailored for your own financial circumstances. So you do have to do your own research or get advice. Um, but Ampol is a hold for both of my guests. Uh, look, Andrew thinks it's just not very exciting. And uh, yeah, he's pointing to a bit of a drop in margins. Uh, Henry as well says that it's been a bit of a dog, but it's got good yield plus franking credits and there's a buyback, so you'd hold it. Eris Resources, it's a specky buy for Andrew. It's a punting kind of share, he reckons, but there are thematics that are providing tailwinds for the company. Look, um, Henry doesn't want to buy it today necessarily because it has popped today, but he does think it's a buy under 60 cents. That's when you can really get more aggressive with buying it, but no debt, plenty of cash few questions around their mine life, uh, mine li- the life of their mines, I should say, but uh, it's a still a buy for him. Helix Resources, it's an avoid for both of my guests. You want to get into these explorers when they've got a bit more momentum behind them and when you know what the management is up to or that the management has a track record. Coles, it's a hold for both of my guests. Unexciting in Henry's view, but it does have a yield. Uh, he thinks that this is the year you need to get a bit more aggressive with your stock picking and get that exposure to commodities because of that China reopening theme. And uh, as far as calls in Andrew's eyes, it's not cheap, but it is a hold. Um, Woolworths has better return on equity, though, and that's a metric that he always looks for. APA Group, it's a hold for Andrew, but if it gets down to between $9, $9.50, he does like the company. It is stable. It's not exciting enough for Henry with his growth mentality and getting a bit more aggressive this year, but it is a steady as she goes company, so it's a hold for him if you've already got it. Let's get to our high conviction fund picked by our investment committee. You can watch that episode at osbiz.com.au. I know a lot of you do like that program. So let's get across the portfolio. And we saw a couple companies removed into December. Speaking of that China reopening, we did have Genesis Education added. I think Henry might have had something to do with that. And as far as performance goes, it is up close to 8%, 7.92% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March 1st of 2022. So keep your requests coming in. We've got a couple to be put to that investment committee from this program today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to getting that next episode up and running for February. Took a bit of a pause for January. It was a bit 
thin on the ground as far as getting the committee members into the studio at once. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, here is a look at the companies we're covering in this next half hour of the program. The Lottery Corporation, Dexis, we've got James Hardy, BetaShares Asia, Te Asia Technology Shares ETF, and the Australia X20 ETF. All right, let's get on to the Lottery Corp with my guests, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today, Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory. Andrew, let's start with the Lottery Corp because, um, yeah, we had the split out from Tab Corp late last year. Uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm. You know, lots of uh, analysts that I spoke to said that this was the pick of the bunch out of the two. Rob wants to know, would you buy Lottery Corp? Um, sorry, that pregnant pause there probably just gave me away, didn't it? Uh, when it came yep. on or was spun out, I think it was about 4.20, 4.30, then certainly, and, you know, for a number of um, people or clients that were asking me and they're saying, look, we don't want to hold both Tab Corp and the Lottery Corporation because it was sort of a one-for-one. One. Which one should I actually choose? And, you know, everyone's different. Uh, we just had the disclaimer there before, but certainly more people were leaning towards the Lottery Corporation. Uh, and so, you know, it's kicked up a little bit. We're, what are we knocking on the door of $4.80? But I think the easy gains have now gone. And in particular, if I look at that PE, so again, you know, sort of the, the measure of value, it's trading at close to 30 times. Again, very predictable uh, defensive type of business. Everyone likes a, a punt. Uh, most of us like a punt. Um, but at 30 times earnings, it's pretty hard to sort of get excited and say it's a, it's a sort of a, a raging buy. Again, it's another one of these ones that's trading right on consensus. Consensus is 475 versus 476. Um, so from my point of view, it's not compelling value. It's another one of these defensive ones that should it come under pressure, it's probably worth buying, but it is a hold at the moment. Do you see things any differently, Henry? I know that it was put into, I believe, the uh, the Osbiz portfolio via the investment committee. Were you a yay or a nay? I think I was a, a nay when that happened. Uh, I must admit, very defensive, this one. Uh, very much predicated growth-wise on uh, a slight, uh, well, I guess, a change in commission basis. And also, the growth is driven by big jackpots. You know, the $100 million headline one, when we all pile in on the vague hope that you know, our, our numbers will come up. Now, I looked at the Oz Lotto um, website this morning. The jackpots uh, are pathetic, I have to say. Powerball's $4 million bucks, Not even worth getting out of bed for. Saturday <laughs> Lotto, $5 million bucks. Oz Lotto, 3 And Monday and Wednesday, $1 million. So that's not going to get too many people excited. I guess there is a potential win for these guys in terms of uh, New South Wales and the pokey machine uh, political debate that's going on at the moment about cashless gaming cards etc because if you're not going to be able to do the pokies then maybe your switch to doing the lotteries I don't think it has quite the same adrenaline buzz or the bang for buck uh, but uh, that is a potential growth uh, tiny weenie I suspect for these guys it, it's run pretty hard um, Tabcorp 
surprisingly actually has done pretty well as well and there's always the potential for some corporate action because this was seen as the jewel in the crown uh, the uh, the business that everybody wanted whereas the wagering side of things was somewhat troubled and needed a bit of a turnaround but um, you know it's it's rallied really hard back from 390 to 4, 480 I think here I'd probably be taking some profits to be honest uh, especially with no real uh, big jackpots out there at the moment to drive that business and it's not just the business that they need driven it's the fact that they can collect all that data on uh, the website if they uh, if people do it online through the uh, through the jumbo interactive uh, side of things so there is a bit of data harvesting going on but uh, for me I think this one actually for me is a sell there We've you go. Got I'm gonna put a sell on it for sell of the session thank you for that because yeah, sometimes it's just as important to know when to sell as it is to buy. Okay, so that's a sell, take some profits in Henry's view. I think I would get out of bed for four million, but eh, that's just me. Let's get to the next company on the list, Dexis. Uh, this is for Jeremy. Andrew, I think every day I read an article in one of you know any publications talking about either the death of CBD office or, you know, that uh, we're changing our CBDs, everything's going to be wonderful and people are going to be moving back to the CBDs so that they can get back into the offices. It is a bit hard to tell just how fundamental the change has been through the pandemic, how long it will last for and what will happen with all this office space. What do you think? Well, I'm sort of giving myself away today, of course, uh, coming to you from an undisclosed location. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the pandemic has shown that we do have the ability to work remotely uh, and do it in an effective manner. But equally so, you're seeing more and more companies. I, I note that Disney, as an example, um, uh, Bob Iger is basically saying as of 1 March, he expects uh, all Disney employees who's come into the office for at least four days a week. So there certainly is a push to get people back to work for the majority of time. Um, if we have a look at Dexas, they're actually pretty, from an occupancy point of view, they're still running at about 95% occupancy. So they don't seem to have those issues. And I actually put this question to a particular fund manager, not Dexas. And what they were saying is that in some cases, companies are coming to them asking for more floor space because of the social distancing space. So, you know, that's another way of looking at it as well. Uh, that, you know, in a post-pandemic world and all the various um, variants that are going to be running around and the waves, etc., that from a, um, a duty of care or work health and safety point of view, that in fact there may be a need for more space. But if we're dealing specifically with Dexas, uh, I don't mind the business uh, and they've been sort of uh, out there sort of uh, selling properties, uh, trying to sort of, um, in, in essence, almost uh, future-proof their second half uh, profit result already. But the whole REIT sector itself is under a fair bit of pressure at the moment because of concerns that interest rates continuing to rise. Um, so from my point of view, REITs in general, and it's certainly no reflection on DEXs, but REITs in general, until we see a bottoming or a topping out of interest rates, uh, I certainly wouldn't be uh, putting too much money into that REIT space. So I think this is a hold. Thank you. Henry, there are those who say that uh, this banging on about rising interest rates at nauseam is unproductive and not reflective of necessarily, <laughs> uh, you know, the overall state of the economy out there because, 
you know, at the coal face, the economy is still going quite strong in Australia. Obviously, rising interest rates will impact property companies as a general rule, but there will be winners and losers. Is Dexis one that will emerge, uh, you know, as a potential uh, strong company even even through this interest rate hiking cycle? Um, well, banging on about interest rates ad nauseum, I, I do tend to agree with that. It's become the absolute focal point of, uh, of every conversation. But, you know, you look at the U.S. market, the U.S. economy, you know, that, it's going pretty well. They've just had the uh, Atlanta Fed GDP now number came out at 4.1% uh, growth for the quarter annualized. That's not the stuff of recessions. And we've got a 3.5% U.S. unemployment. And the U.S. has been raising rates pretty aggressively. So you can have an economy that does okay even when you have rates going up. Of course, for Dexas, uh, the work-from-home thing is an issue. And Andrew does highlight that some people are actually increasing their office space because of the social distancing. But, you know, I think more, more and more people are going to have to come back to the workplace. I mean, work-from-home was great when we had... Uh, the pandemic it obviously made a lot of sense but there is a tendency and let's let's call a spade a spade here there is a tendency to plug uh, to bludge a little bit when you're at home if you're sitting in front of your screen and all you've got to do for the day is a zoom conversation uh, then you can go and do the washing and read a book or watch netflix for an hour or so and um, there is a tendency to bludge and i think as we proceed during the year more and more employees will be forced disney-esque to come back to the office um, and um, I know people will hate that, but I think that is the way of things. It's hard to build culture and in, instill that in, in uh, a company without being in the office. Dexas, I think, at the moment is under a little bit of a cloud because of the Collimate uh, deal they've got with AMP, uh, which has been pushed out, uh, I think, in timing to uh, the end of February. Uh, they've extended that date with the AMP there. So that that is a little bit of a cloud. They did do a revaluation of a... a pretty much 99% of their office and their uh, their property exposure and that did result in a small uplift. I don't mind this one, it's got a good yield. REITs uh, generally have suffered because of this interest rate environment. I think if we can get through the AMP issue, uh, this has got potential to push back up towards 850. So on that basis, I think this one is a buy. There you go, difference of opinion there. Um, gentlemen, thank you for that. So that is Dexis, a buy from Henry and an avoid, um, really a sector avoid from Andrew. Let's get to James Hardy Industries. So this is for Mary. JHX is the ticker code. Um, yeah, what do you think the prospects for these building companies are, particularly with the exposure in the United States, because some of them have been hit hard already and actually not off to a bad start to start this new year, Andrew. Uh, yes, but again, it's sort of, I think really when it comes to Hardy's, it's what's your view of what's gonna happen with the US economy? Because over 70%, I think it's about 74% of their revenue actually comes from the US. So Henry's right, they've been sort of sticking uh, interest rate rises into the US consumer and the US consumers are sort of shrugging it off and going, oh, well, that's all really interesting. But remembering that 85% of US home loans are fixed for 30 years. So rising interest rates for most US consumers, unless you know they have auto loans or student loans or you know, credit cards, personal loans, it's not going to have anywhere near the same impact that it does here in Australia. Obviously, rising interest rates are a significant issue for here in Australia for us. So I, I'm sort of of the view that I think the US could potentially come in for a hard-er landing, not a 
not a you know nose front type of landing, but it's certainly not going to be a soft landing. And if that's the case, then having exposure to US-like businesses, 74% of your revenue coming from the US-like Hardee's, I think could be a little bit concerning. So, um, and the market's telling us that. What do they get to? 55 bucks there. So, you know, back at 20, uh, 29, consensus on it's about 36 at the moment. But I might also note that consensus has dropped by almost 20% over the last three months. And I think that's in part reflective of the market's concern about the US. So I think it's a hold. Hold. Is this, in your view, Henry, potentially a pretty good time to get a quality company at a cheap price? Is it? Um, I, I love Andrew's background, by the way. His uh, undisclosed location is really, um, really making him look great. He looks very rest, rested and relaxed after his break. Um, as far as Hardy goes, they, they've had a lot of um, they've had a lot of hard things thrown at them. Let's face it; uh, they have been in a downward spiral for a long time. The U.S. is obviously a challenging market, but despite the challenging environment, they do seem to be coping. I'd say relatively well. Uh, they did downgrade uh, with their outlook and earnings guidance recently as they had seen a, a significant, well, they talked about a significant deterioration in the last 45 days uh, for the outlook for the housing market. But the stock has bounced quite well off those lows. I wouldn't be surprised, given that it has had so much bad news slung at it, everybody is bearish, uh, the US market, the US housing market. I wouldn't be surprised to see this one quietly tick back up towards the $35 level. So again, uh, it may have been well and truly oversold heading into the end of the year um, on the on the fears of the US market. So I think we could see some upside. So I'm going to be in the buy camp here, although I have to say uh, it's not a strong conviction buy. It's just a more a sentiment thing because I think sentiment has been so far against this stock. All the bad news has been uh, really in the price to some extent and the company has done relatively well in in sort of transitioning and, and coping with these tough conditions that are out there in the housing market so for me it is a well it's a buy but it's not a strong conviction mm -hmm. buy it's not a super buy no there we go there we go all right uh, we're starting to learn the difference between buys and super buys let's get on to the next ETF on the list uh, Andrew of course I will start with you but this is the beta shares Asia Tech Tigers ETF. So a few things in there, obviously. We're getting, uh, you know, the China reopening obviously underway. We're starting to get rhetoric about the relaxation of some of the really strong regulatory changes that were put through. We saw Jack Ma emerged in Taiwan, apparently after going underground for quite some time. So what are the prospects for this ETF in the coming months? Well, I'll sort of talk a little bit about this, but of course I'm on the drop tomorrow at uh, 10.30, so I'll go a bit more in depth about some of these um, Asian ETFs where you couldn't potentially get exposure to the China bounce tomorrow, 10.30, uh, 9.30 real time. Um, but if you if you think about uh, this particular ETF, it has exposure, it's about 51% exposed to China. So for everything that Henry's been talking about relating to sort of the uh, recovery in China, uh, then certainly this is going to give you great exposure to that. The other thing I like about this one, Nadine, is that it's also got exposure to semiconductors as well. And for uh, a long period of time, everyone's been very sort of cold on semis. But uh, we saw recently the Taiwanese government, because they're worried about losing companies like TSMC, 
basically um, moving to the US. They're sort of trying to keep them in Taiwan and are now paying tax rebates for their R&D uh, exposure. And you think about the R&D that's going on with semiconductor businesses, it would be in the tens of billions of dollars. So I really do like this one, not only on the basis of that China bounce, but also, as I said, semiconductors, tech hardware, etc. So uh, I think this one is, out of all the ones we're going to talk about today, I think this is probably the buy, apart from the super buy, of course. Uh, this is the other buy for me. Got it. What do you think, Henry? You've been quite bullish on China to start this program. Um, it's not so much bullish just on China. It's more about the, the ripple effects that China has on the global economy. You know, we can see it here. We've got student numbers increasing quite dramatically. Uh, a lot of, I guess, a lot of Chinese probably getting the hell out of Dodge to some extent after three years of being locked down. Uh, they're pretty keen to travel. And my brother in uh, London was uh, in London on Christmas Day wandering around, uh, and there were huge crowds of Chinese tourists in London. Of course, everything was closed because it was Christmas Day, but that didn't stop them all wandering around. It was a beautiful day, apparently. So I think it's more the ripple effects for the Chinese. Um, economy on the rest of the world that is going to be significant. Having said that, uh, Asia ETF, we've added that to our strategic portfolio today. I think it's, um, it's you know, Andrew is spot on. This one, Alibaba, Tencent, Samsung and TSMC very much to the fore in this one. You know, they're all 10% of the ETF themselves. I think this one's going to continue to push high, if not from sentiment, but every US investment bank I, I see at the moment on uh, on various different news channels is talking about the great Chinese story, the great opportunity that China presents as uh, it uh, reopens after three years of, of isolation. So this one could run and run for the time being, if not just on sentiment alone. But I think the more important effect is what the Chinese reopening does for the rest of the world in terms of tourism, student numbers, in terms of demand, in terms of growth, etc. So, uh, and there has been a change not only in, in that, of course, but also in, in, I guess, the politics to some extent surrounding China, our, our re-engagement with China, which is just a small example, I, su I suspect, of the cooling of that hardline wolf-warrior sort of stance that we had seen from China in the last three years, isolationist, uh, which really hasn't served Japan very well with a, with a demographic time bomb as well. So um, like China, like its effect on the rest of the world, like Asia, it's a buy. Two buys. Two buys. Jeez, I feel like we should make this a super buy. Um, yeah, we'll see what, what we say about the next company. Oh, oh, yeah, you're daring me? It's a super buy. We'll put it to the investment I'm, committee. I'm, I'm daring you. I don't want you to get any. I'm living else. dangerously these days. It's the new me, 2023. <laughs> All Fantastic. Right. I'd like to see it. <laughs> Let's get to the lucky last on the list. This is the Australian X20 EX204 Lachlan. Lachlan, let's uh, get a view from Andrew to start. Uh, thanks, Lachlan. And yeah, look, it's a little, um, dare I say it, uh, underwhelming. And what I mean by that is that if you think about the Australian market, it's a heavily concentrated market. Uh, very much banks, very much resources, consumer discretion, uh, consumer staples rather, like we were just talking about before, and a telco, and that's sort of you know 50, 60 percent of the market. So the the theory being, well, let's have companies outside the 20 because that's going to add diversification, and it will help give you uh, as good, if not potentially a better rate of return. However, when you actually crunch the numbers, sadly that is not the case. The numbers will tell you 
it's no great surprise that this is up around five, this ETF we're talking about is up around 5% per annum over the last five years. But because it is so underweight financials, financials in the, the in the sort of the ASX 200 is 28%. In this particular ETF, uh, financials are under half of that. So not having enough exposure to banks, it's actually a little bit underweight materials as well. You're really doing yourself a bit of harm. So it's got companies like South32, Brambles, Suncorp, Centre and Sonic. So these are not terrible businesses by any stretch of the imagination. But by virtue of pulling money away from those bigger names that we were just talking about before, the return, the difference in return is actually quite meaningful. So diversification, tick the box, but from a performance risk return point of view, I'd struggle to recommend this. Okay, so that is an avoid, really. Let's get a view from Henry. What do you think, Henry? Uh, this is a diversification, if, if you like. Um, you know, at the end of the day, let's face it, Australia is a, a country that is, or our index certainly is based on mining and banking. And if you take those two out, um, you've got the likes of, um, yeah, it's not very exciting this one, to be honest. And Andrew's right, it's gone nowhere. The problem is, and I guess this is this goes for the Australian market, is for international investors, these are the guys that really move the dial. Here we are banging on the door of 7,200 now but these guys really are the players that move the dial the international guys and they will focus on the stocks that they know bhp fortescue rio woodside four banks maybe woolies and coals at a stretch but that's that's what they know that's what drives the market um the rest of this stuff brambles center group you know it's sonic um computer share nah it's it's always going to underperform because that's not where the international money will go. I, I would say I am 100% in agreement with Andrew with an avoid on this one. If you want exposure to the Australian market, you're better off going top 20 uh, when you're in a bull market, when the international players come back in and want to play the proxy, because we are seen as a bit of a proxy for China and uh, that reopening play, and I'm talking about that ad, ad nauseum today, but if you want exposure to China, one of the ways to play it is to play to the biggest um, supplier of goods to some extent into China with iron ore, coal uh, coming back on, etc. So, you know, you're probably better off going with a top 20 ETF than a, everything else bar the 20 uh, ETF, to, to be honest, uh, when you see moves like this happening. So not for me and avoid uh, certainly. Sorry. That's okay. Agree with Andrew. Never I agree with Andrew. I agree with Andrew. See, Amazing. see, look how look how well we all get along. Just putting oh, it out there. <laughs> uh, so that's an avoid from both of my guests. Always going to underperform. Diversification. We'll give that one to you, Henry. All right. I will just review what we've learned in this half of the program before we thank our guests and uh, we'll all be on our way. The Lottery Corp, it is a hold for Andrew. He thinks that the easy gains have been made. It's a sell actually for Henry. If you've made some gains, why don't you crystallize those? And he's a little bit, um, he's a little bit cool on the size of the jackpots to come. Dexis, and this is where we get into a bit of disagreement with these guys, but that makes a market. So the whole sector for Andrew is a bit of an avoid as we are still in this interest rate uh, hiking environment. Um, he, he says it doesn't mind the business, but it's just uh, not one that he would be buying. He'd avoid the REITs. This is a buy though for Henry. Uh, he sees the potential in this one. Uh, and uh, James Hardy is the next on the list. It is again a buy for Henry. Uh, he thinks it's a sentiment play. Like it's not a really high conviction, 
buy for his portfolios, but he expects that it could quickly tick up to $35 as it's bounced off its lows. The beta shares Asia Tech Tiger ETF, it is a buy from both of my guests. And Andrew will be getting into a little bit more detail, I do expect, on the drop tomorrow. And just as a note for both of you, if you're and all of you out there, obviously, if you're interested in the China story and that potential thawing of trade relationships between China and Australia, Check out The Bigger Picture. It's a program that we're going to be running at 2.30 on Friday. Uh, Tim Harcourt, the airport economist, sat down with the Chinese ambassador. And I watched the interview today, a little bit of a perk of the job, a bit of a preview. And it's really interesting to hear what he has to say about the thawing of trade relations between our two countries. That's 2.30 on Friday. And the last on the list for Lachlan, it was an avoid. It's the diversification strategy you do not want to have part of your plan. All right, Henry Jennings from Marcus today in Avalon. And I will note when you're talking about Dexis, you too are dialing in remotely. Andrew Veitlin from East Toowoomba, getting very specific there. Thank you guys yep. so much for joining us. Good to have you back for 2023. And I look forward that, to all that's to come. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks Andrew. All right, uh, that is the call. If you have any suggestions for us, we do read each and every email that comes through the call at osbiz.com.au, or you can also tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us, we've got the small caps coming up next. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.